HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the show Life's a Banquet, the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible. Starring your hosts, me, Brenton Scott, and me, Zara Tangora. A show about ostrich and wine and dough. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, banquet. podcast you have reached life's a banquet is no longer in service the new podcast is called banquets of life starring your hosts zara (laughs) zara Zara tangora and breton scott Scott. (laughs) life's a banquet is a podcast about all things edible spreadable and pourable and the highs and lows of those things. And one day, that tagline will come out correctly. <laughs> exactly. About the high. <laughs> Welcome to Life's a Banquet, the podcast that's edible, spreadable, and pourable. Did I say it right? <laughs> no! Let's introduce ourselves. My name is Bretton Scott, and I live in Brooklyn, and I used to own a restaurant. I've worked in restaurants. I cook. I do all kinds of fun stuff in the food and beverage world. Pretty much everything. Since the day I was born. Came into this world washing a pan. Yeah, pretty much with, I prefer John Appleson, that's what I said. <laughs> I'm Zara Tangora, and y'all already know everything about me because I'm world famous, so just Google it, no big deal. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny because I'm Google and I, your name's not coming oh, up. Oh yeah, it's really interesting. You just have to spell it with, um, in wingdings. <laughs> yeah. So if you spell in windings, it comes right up immediately. Oh, oh there yeah. you are. Exactly. Oh my God. Oh my God, my parents famous. were very like kind of nerdy when I was growing up. They're like, let's spell her name in wing- wingdings. That's hard for me to say. Yeah. Wingdings. Wingdings. Well, 90s are coming back with a flair. <sighs> I'm Zara. I used to be a chef. I didn't know anything about cooking before that. Now I do, kind of. And I like Breton. He's my friend. We do a podcast together. We're silly. He's staring right at me. Almost as like he's staring through my soul right now and kind of judging everything I'm saying. I... I'm actually mimicking my cat Sparkles, who is definitely also a world famous cat. Oh, His name is Sparkles. And Not can... spelled in wingdings. He's working on a YouTube page, but I've learned from him that if you just stare blankly into... Just like right past. I feel like you have my like control over me right now at this point. I won't. I've let go. Yeah. Okay. Good. Ooh. So oh. Zara and I still work together. We, we work do. all. We collaborate on projects yeah. and cooking and and we do private catering. Private. We do. Pri- we do real private we catering. We do private 
We can private catering. Feel free to ask us to come into your house and we'll it's slip private. into something more comfortable. And I'll take off my bikini bottoms. That's right. And I'll bake you up the best lemon cake you've ever had in your life. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on? We did a lot of fun stuff this week. We went to a fabulous restaurant last night in my hometown of Huntington. Saldi's. 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 It's on the North Shore of Long Island. Where's the North Shore of Long Island, Zora? The North Shore of Long Island, Breton, is about right said Sensa in the middle. So you're between where, you know, the city starts on the <laughs> left, Montauk, you got on the right. So if you go Wait, on the I'm North confused. Shore. Now listen, listen, listen. I'm All giving right. you Long Island style directions All right. here. Oh, yeah, okay. that's right. You take the, <laughs> you take the LIA. What's, okay. You get off at Huntington. Oh, actually, you get off at 106, 107. Mm-hmm. If you want to take the shortcut, then you okay. go over to Huntington. It's on the North Shore. And um, yeah. Wow. Bing, that- bang, boom. There you are. So we went to Saldi's, an amazing Italian-American restaurant that is the nephew or cousin or stepchild restaurant of my yes, favorite yes, place yes, growing yes, up, yes. which was called J&J's, which is now no longer. But that was a place my parents went. Uh, it was a big part of my childhood. And this is kind of a little fancy. Like, I shouldn't say fancy, but Jane Jay was a real dump. And this place is like, you know. <laughs> I thought it was a real dump. No, that was a real dumpy dump. Dumparoo. <laughs> Dumparoo. <laughs> uh, I visited Zara yesterday. And yeah, it was fun. All, I came all the way from Brooklyn out, out to Long Island yeah. is what I've learned. I was like, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm like, we're going up to Long Island. Oh, no, you go out to out Long Island. to Long Island. And then you're on the island. And then you're on the island. Thank you, Jerry Seinfeld. And then suddenly, exactly. And then suddenly I found myself in Huntington and I wanted that. All I wanted was fried calamari. All day I was like, I know that you should come to Long Island. I don't know why. And I act like I'm this old, like, oh, I've been coming to Long Island for years. It Mm. really wasn't until I started visiting you. And I felt fell in love with Long Island. It's the, uh, I, have a whole, I have a whole musical about it. They call that getting bit, uh, jolted. Yeah. It flopped in 1962 and off, off Broadway. Uh. I fell in love with Long Island. Oh, it's really great. George Gershman collaborated with, no, they didn't. But so anyway. What do we have at dinner? Uh, crispy fried calamari. Fried and to the a crisp. In a good way. A crisp. It was light, fresh, perfectly battered. I did. I said, this is the best calamari I've had in years. And I asked the waitress for something spicy. And she was a lovely cute 23 year old little blonde probably her 20 year old you know probably her college job yeah summer job she had to ask if they had beef eater gin you know like yeah she was like oh i sure you know anyway and i asked her for something spicy and she gave me a really gorgeous she goes oh i mean i could bring you chili flake and i said like something special You're like, like try like, again and sister. She goes, oh i happen to have some uh warm sliced hot cherry peppers in a lovely Arabi- arabiata sauce and i said yeah, like, yes. Why wouldn't you just bring that to me in like, the first place? Bing, 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 bing. Bing, bing. And it was delicious. It was very good. It was Wonderful. very good. We had rigatoni al vodka. Sol franchise. Sol, or sol, chan, fra, chan, sol chan, chan, chan. Was it franchise? Yeah, it was so, By sol the way, franchise. if anybody doesn't know what franchise is, uh, because it's, uh, I actually didn't hear a whole lot about it, but Zara, tell us what franchise is, which well, I fell in love with. Yeah, franchise or franchise, as my mother says. Um, You're really trying to be fancy. <laughs> she goes, a franchise. It's really good. It's just like egg battered. You can have veal franchise. You can have shrimp franchise, chicken franchise. You mm. can really franchise anything you want. That's and so it's um, sexy. I use the franchise batter on other things. So really, it's just that you do an egg batter. So a little bit of flour okay. on whatever protein or anything you pick. So it gets a little... Flour, then egg, then directly in the pan. So it's not like bread crummy. It's just kind of like a little puffy, like... Got little it. Omelette um, on little omelette Right, and then franchise sauce. Franchise sauce 
mm-hmm. is like a lemon and butter and white wine. So it's really simple. Finished I with think curly parsley. The way that I sort of described it when I first had it, I said, oh, this kind of reminds me a little of that, that egg foo young kind of texture yeah. on the outside, but lighter and fluffier and delicious. Yeah, well, that's proof that yeah. kind of culturally, uh, you know, every different food culture has extreme similarities, right? Yeah, I guess so. That's it was very good. One of the things I enjoyed most is that you ordered a gin martini. Of course, I would have joined you, but mm-hmm. I was driving. Um, so I just sipped off of yours. Uh, I sipped off of some of the gin that fell into the bread basket. The first thing I did, I cheered, <laughs> was knocked out two <laughs> ounces of my eight-ounce martini. But they did the kind of cute, kitschy thing where they bring the mini shaker oh my God, to the table. Bring a mini shaker. And I said, the, I'm telling you. Pure class. Late 80s and 90s is Full on in swing everywhere. Exactly. And I think like instead of just pushing that aside and be like, oh no, like places like that aren't cool. You know what? That's the coolest kind of place. I want Because there's fresh- no pretension. Yeah. I like that. Anyway, so that Great. was delicious. It was wonderful. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk to everybody about? <laughs> yes, please. Was the clam shack. <gasps> okay. Bigelow's. So suddenly... I Should just- I do a geography lesson also about Bigelow's yes. though? Before we start, since I am the authority in Long Island driving. Okay, here we go. So then... All right, another direction. Exactly. So what so. you do is you're going to take the <laughs> LIE and then you're going to get off at the so Meadowbrook Parkway. Back. And you go... So we went to um, Robert Moses and then we kind of went back. We doubled so back. Robert Moses Beach is... like before fire island yeah and it's this gorgeous, gorgeous long stretch of beach that actually is man-made oh they, really yeah yeah they made that main man they man-made half the park and they dredged sand over men made the man-made beach? yes so robert moses is a fabulous park which is it's also a beach nice. has yeah. a theater and it's probably like an hour and 20 minute drive from yeah. from new york city it's almost exactly it's really right close. you can take a bus you can take a train you can take a plane you, you can take, take a, a helicopter, helicopter. Uh-oh. Whoa! <laughs> used to be so in sync. We're so amazing. Okay, listen, but Rockville Center, South Shore of Long Island, again, kind of in dead middle of the island, but like mm-hmm. on the South Shore. Anyway, a not a, not a typical place you'd find a seafood shack. For those of us from the Midwest or just west of the East, it's very quick to get to, it. and it's beautiful and has white sand beaches with. Oh, like a gorgeous not horizon. Rockville of... <laughs> not Rockville Center. Don't confuse no, 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 people. No, no, They're no. going to get on the train to Rockville Center and be very disappointed. <laughs> they get off in Rockville Center, but like, I listen to your podcast and I got off and I'm looking for the clam shack near the sandy beaches. Oh, and, it's and they're not. like, I don't like Rockville Center. Okay, so we pull up to this this clam shack and I've been obsessed for everybody that is listening. I've been obsessed with clam shacks. I was talking to my friend from the South Shore of Long Mary. Island. Mary from Sayville which is right by Fireland. And anyway, she said, oh, Breton, you should open up a clam shack, but really do it well. Yeah. And so there's all, so I start Googling and Pinteresting all these wonderful places in the East Coast that I want to check out. Anyway, there's, there's tons of clam shacks. And I started looking and I created a list. And this was one of them on the list. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That okay. was the one that was actually the first one because I saw the entrance of the bar has kind of that crisscross <gasps> yeah, window. Yeah. And the bar was built in 1939 and is 100% original. And so we walked in and I was skeptical because I thought, you know what? It's in the middle of a strip mall. It was on Sunrise Highway. I mean, again, for the people not from Long Island. It was a bad highway. It's not, it's kind of a misnomer. Yeah. Some car dealerships, maybe a mall, maybe some like, I don't know, maybe some other chain stores and then this clam shack. But we walked in and they had a gorgeous kind of curvy bar with that, oh, that really, that a cubby hole in the bar. I've never seen that mm-hmm. in my life. A gentleman's cubby hole. A gentleman's cubby it's hole. It's only big enough for a watch, wallet, and keys. Mm-hmm. Ladies, you're out of luck. Watch, you got a big purse. Spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch. Double mm-hmm. check it and before you go out. Exactly. That's what we always say here on Live's Banquet. Yes. But anyway, the clams. Clams. Okay. So 
I was open and I was hungry. We had spent the day at the beach and I thought, you know, this is the perfect time to get an ice cold beer and some fried clams. But I question. Now, this is because I'm new to the East Coast as of, mm-hmm. as of 11 years ago. But Ipswich, whole belly clams fried mm-hmm. or clam strips. It depends who you're dining with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like an Ipswich clam. I like a whole belly clam because I like things that are kind of yucky and, you know, like, well, I mean, quote unquote yucky. I like every kind of offal. I like raw oysters. You know, I'll basically eat mud right out of the ground. If so somebody and, said if you put enough uh, vinegar on it. However, mm-hmm. not everybody likes that. And a clam strip is pretty much crowd pleasing as long as they're not like overdone and like crazy chewy well so i had asked our lovely lovely bartender this gentleman and you know i said hey what do you recommend you know that's kind of st- you know sometimes when people ask obvious questions what do you recommend the french fries or the onion rings right uh, those are really different yeah it's kind of like that with the clams yeah but he gave a wonderful wonderful description he and did. he said he said this ready no yes. just he said this he just said listen you know ipswich whole belly clams is the whole clam it's a little bit larger. It's a little bit juicier. And he said, it's kind of like, have you ever had a fried oyster? It's kind of like you get that, mm-hmm. you get the whole flavor. Yeah. And the whole the clam, yeah. And the clam strips are just a little bit more. Know, like, it's a crab pleaser. Yeah. Crab, uh, clam popcorn, mm-hmm. if you will. Yes. Or popcorn clams. Well, we went with the strips. We did. And they were great. And they served a whole tub of tartar sauce. <sighs> that was a, at every single place. Matt, Perfectly at the bar. chilled. Perfectly chilled. Perfectly tangy. Didn't have too much clove or any other non-spices that shouldn't be in. Oh, no. It was no. very straightforward. I think that I probably ate a full cup of tartar sauce. We did. We, was, he refilled it, and we each ate yeah. eight ounces. It was delicious. I loved every second of it. They changed the oil frequently, and it was fantastic, and I've never felt better after fried food in my life. It was great. Definitely mm-hmm. go. I really want... I'm going up to Midtown. Okay. And I want one of those Greek pastries. Oh, my God. From Poseidon. Are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I coincidentally get the best phyllo pastry. Fabulous. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you were looking to have something at uh, Flavortown. What's Flavortown? It's Guy Fieri's restaurant, excuse me. No, it closed. Oh. Oh, wait. Well, there's still, I feel like the you can still walk in and kind of pick something out of the walk-in. <laughs> you break in. This is what you do. You go in the back. You knock three times. There's a bunch of old employees that still work there, and they uh, shuffle you out some Flavortown nachos with donkey head sauce and uh, butt Guy Fieri had the worst review in the New York Times. Did you ever read it? Of course. Everyone's yeah, read it's it. the worst thing. And the, it's it the finally worst. Closed. Don't you think it was a little bit like... I don't know. I didn't quite... Like, I thought it was funny, like everyone else. Like, oh, it's so funny. Uh, Pete Wells wrote Pete it, Pete Wells. Right? Yeah. But I'm kind of like... My takeaway from it was, you know how many people wait around for a New York Times review who like try and try uh-huh. and open these restaurants? And I mean, we could do a whole episode about I mean, that the New was York Times the reviews most in general. controversial review of That's any like, reviews. What a waste. What a waste of everyone's yeah, time. Yeah. In, I just think it being the review for the week was a waste of time to like be cruel to somebody. I agree. It's just like, it oh, was very. Give me a break. It was, it was Pete a Wells, if you're listening, I'm just kidding. I love, <laughs> love, love you, you darling. You're fabulous. You're, Luckily, you can't review us. This was amazing. Um, just yeah. some corrections that I want to make from a couple of uh, past shows. I've been listening to yeah. them and judging myself and relentlessly. And I lock my clo- myself in the closet at night and uh, mm-hmm. don't allow myself any food or water or uh, beverages or air. Hours. Um because I'm embarrassed about mm-hmm. mistakes I've made on the show, and I'm willing to cop to them. So in our Heinz episode, I said that Warren Buffett bought um, Heinz for like two, 23 bajillion million quadrillion dollars, some like ridiculous number. It's really 23 billion. 
23 billion. Yeah. You're so correct. Heinz ketchup sold for 23 billion, not 230 billion. Um, Cardoon, we were talking about. I said it's a tuber. It's, it's really a, a thistle. thistle. Um, eating a dead lobster. I just want to clarify about that. What I meant by not eating a dead lobster is, I mean, if you get one and it's died of natural causes, you don't want to cook it. That makes sense. If yeah, one, I didn't think obviously we always eat a dead lobster. Like we eat them, um, they die of natural causes or you, or you cook them and then they die. The same thing with like clams, anything. If you just find a lobster or you get one from your fishmonger and it's died on its own, the same thing with like a soft shell crab. Um, you don't want to eat like something that's just dead. And then, you know, like you wouldn't want to cook yeah, a pig yeah, yeah. that just kind of flopped over and died. And then you're like, Oh, I'll eat this. That's how people get trichinosis or trichomoniasis, right. whatever. Um, and then Trick. one last thing that I want to mention, we do a lot of stories on this podcast, um, about things like Heinz ketchup earlier. We mentioned craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about KFC. We don't endorse those companies. We don't like what they do to the world. We don't like their global impact. We don't like, um, eating we don't recommend eating tons of processed foods we're very much involved in but craft foods owns a lot of things of course i'm just I used saying to work for craft foods we chat about this stuff but we don't chat about it because we're ignorant or because we like it or because we don't know that it's bad just so you know we tell all kinds of stories but we're not into zara that. uses heinz ketchup of course and so do i sometimes no. but i'm i actually like sir kensington i don't mean that we're like above eating cheetos or we're above eating ketchup i'm just saying we're not like sitting here ignorant to its impact on the world and recommending that you run out to KFC and that's like the coolest place and we don't get what it does. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We get it. We get it. And we love it. A couple other things that I really wanted to mention, which are non-food related, but very inspirational. Yes. Sorry, kiddos. You might miss this because this is going to air right towards the end of the show. But if it appears and pops up in another city, I think it's traveling. The David Bowie exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. Oh, yes, yes. One of the yes. most ex- like inspiring things ever. I'm pretty sure David Bowie didn't eat food at all. So like, I he don't. He was very thin. He was very thin. And just, can you picture him eating? Well, now I was actually going to bring this up. Because I was at the David Bowie exhibit also, which I, I just went to on Monday. David Jones. D- David Jones. And so I'm perusing the exhibit, and he has all this gorgeous artwork, handwritten stuff that he, I mean, he he painted storyboards for ideas that he had. Everything was so intricate. And I came across a hand-painted menu, which was from one of his favorite restaurants when he lived in Berlin. And I was <gasps> going to take a picture of it. I didn't see it. that. Yeah, there was a hand-painted menu. And on the menu, the dessert was a, it was a plum like a plum tort and just, or something. I can't remember. And I, oh, that was, sounds, to, I freaking love it. Anyway, it was a very, it was a hand painted, gorgeous oh menu that God. he created for the restaurant. That's amazing. So, and he said he ate there all the time. Oh, well, I guess that I'm, I'm wrong. Obviously mm-hmm. he ate. So, but, and he yeah. ate one singular muscle, <laughs> one muscle, <laughs> and he ate one teaspoon per day of plum tort. Oh, David Bowie. The I best. Don't know if he did. It was really special and really wonderful yeah. and very inspiring. And just reminded me a little bit about, this is kind of an odd segue into our topic for today, mm-hmm. but um, a segue nonetheless. Um, it kind of reminded me a about... A scooter, I love those. It got me to thinking. Got me to thinking about New York, which is our home and has been my home since I was... Oh, geez, I'm very old now. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're 84. Oh, my God. I know. It's been my home for 16 years. And yep. I grew up in Long Island, as everybody in the planet knows by now. Um, and just like... You know, obviously, Bowie wasn't from New York, but he spent a lot of time here. But he ended up making it his home here. Exactly. And it made me start thinking about how brave he was, how interesting he was, and how 
you know, he was influenced by all these different things. And that's what New York is. And then in a grander scheme, even though there are certainly parts of the country that are a little bit more rigid than others, the country is that as well. And we're going through this horrible time uh, for a lot of people consider it to be a horrible time. Personally, I do. I know that you do as well, um, where we're kind of not really appreciating diversity very much mm-hmm. and not really appreciating the influences of people from other countries and uh, different gender genders and different uh, sex of ideas and, you know, the whole gamut of well, difference. The, the good or, new, the flip side of that is that the, there are probably more than half the population that actually is. Of course, absolutely. And we must not let that overshadow. Absolutely. But we're being, you know, the mm-hmm. people in charge, I don't even want to say <clears throat> said person's name, <clears throat> is, you know, we're getting messages, and especially young Wait, kids. somebody's in charge. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Good one. We're getting messages that um, other is bad, that people who are not like us are bad. And it made me start thinking also about, you know, I'm the granddaughter of several immigrants. Um, I had yes. grandparents who immigrated from Italy, um, from uh, Russia, and from Hungary. And my grandmother was half Hungarian, half Yugoslavian. What the heck would America be eating if we didn't have immigrants? Exactly. Ig freaking exactly. And so, illegal immigrants, too. Yeah. I mean, what do you think this, this part of the world, this part of our country would be like without Jewish immigrants? Well, I think it would be far less delicious and far less neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> And far less um, colorful. So I really appreciate my heritage. And I appreciate very much living in New York City. We're super, super lucky being here. We get to go to Chinatown. We get to go to, you know, I mean, I want to say Little Italy, although that's not really. (laughs) (laughs) You you live in Little Italy. This is the real. This is the real Little Italy in Carroll Gardens here, which is in kind of South Brooklyn. Yeah. But anyway. So I really wanted to kind of think about a story I could tell that was my own personal story, but still tied to the immigration issue that we're dealing with right now. So I sat down with my mom and asked her about what it was like being raised Jewish. Well, in actuality, I did experience a lot of anti-Semitism and growing actually, up. Actually, pardon me, what was the year? Uh, eight, what is the this year range we're talking about? In the, the mid-60s. Okay, great. In Long so Island. So I was, right. I moved into a neighborhood where there really were very few Jewish families. And I remember it was before Jewish holidays were given as a day off mm. in schools. Okay. And the teacher would say, now who's going to be off for the Jewish holiday? And I would raise my hand and I looked around and no one else raised their hand. And I remember being made fun of. And I'll actually tell a really kind of bad story. Yeah, please. Which is that I remember being in, at a game once. Yeah. And there was a sports game, and a penny was on the floor, and somebody looked at me and said, you're a cheap Jew, why don't you pick it up? And I remember feeling so bad and so alone and I isolated. It was yeah. really hard. It was hard. I, fe- I experienced anti-Semitism, and it was hard. So I want to talk to you guys today about one of my favorite Jewish delicacies and combinations, uh, bagels and lox. Oh, bagels. And the bagels and lox. Now, I like bagels. Surprising tidbit. Bagels and lox are, is not a Jewish, neither thing is like traditionally Jewish. Neither thing came from necessarily. From, yeah, exactly. Bagels, a little bit more, we'll get into that. Lox, not so much, we'll get into that. And cream cheese, definitely not. Um, but I think it's awesome because it's a really, really good example of how something that people who immigrated here made their own and then now is like, you know, 
nationally and internationally re- renowned as uh, one of America's favorite foods. I mean, it's... And the world's favorite foods. And it makes New York City. Have a nosh. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so a couple fun facts here. Also want to start off by saying that I got most of my information from Wikipedia and also a really great article on the now uh, no longer Meat, Meat Paper magazine. It was an online magazine. Um, Heather Smith for Meat Paper. I got a lot of info from there. Meat paper. It sounds delicious. It, I mean, what if paper was actually made of meat? I think they would call that. There'd be no libraries, <laughs> right? Exactly. Bookstores. You'd have to. All the bookstores would have to be refrigerated really well. So, forty percent of the world's Jewish population currently lives in the U.S., which I thought was very shocking. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of Jews. Yeah, and I can say that because I'm Jewish. So, if if uh, you're offended yeah. by my uh, doling out the use of Jews, it's fine for me. Um, That's right, but I can't. No, I'm no. a nasty Catholic. No, 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 no. I'm a nasty. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no. I, no, no, no. I only eat communion and and <laughs> and drink the blood of Carla Rossi wine. Drink the blood of Christ and stay on your side of the table. Right. Okay. No. Drinking blood. Pardon me. So, uh, 1.1 million people alone in the fibers in New York City uh, are Jewish. And uh, that's about 8% of the city. So people, you know, in their stereotypes of New York City, a lot of times like, oh, you know, oi, you're very Jewish. And like Jewish ladies, uh, you know, being, I want my brisket lean. And that's a stereotype for a reason because there is a lot of Jewish people here. And thank goodness for that, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, the, David's. The first Jews came to America uh, via New York City, which at the time was called New Amsterdam. There was 23 of them in the year 1654. Those Dutch. And they were Brazilian. Brazilian Jews? Yeah, they were Sephardic Jews uh, who had escaped Portugal. And they then went to Brazil and then came to New York. And Stuyvesant, Peter Stuyvesant, uh, who was the governor at the time? The governor? Yeah, he had had that uh, property in the East Village. Right, right, right. Stuyvesant town. Yeah, yeah. He had a whole farm there. Can you imagine? Yeah, there's a lot of Stuyvesant. If you're not from New York, everything is Stuyvesant this, Stuyvesant that. And it looks like it's Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant. (laughs) But you know what? He was not nice to these poor 23 (sighs) Jews. He taxed them so heavily that they left. And there wasn't really a big kind of Jewish immigration again um, until 1880 when Alexander II was assassinated in Russia and... They say it was by Jewish people, and it really like created a huge, like fury of anti-Semitism in Russia at the time. So then you got a lot, a lot, a lot of um, Jewish immigrants coming over. So I think in the year 1881, there was about a million Jews that immigrated to New York City alone. Can you imagine in the 1880s? I mean, it's yeah, it's crazy. I picture the harbors. They just must have been bustling. Yeah. With. Think of like when you get off. I wonder what they. It's oh. like getting off the. Are you going to say something about like getting off the subway? <laughs> yeah. It's like getting off at Grand Central. Of like, oh my gosh, there's so many people and yeah. and pretzels and hot dogs. <laughs> I don't know. I pictured like the pretzel people are still there in like 1880. <laughs> you get off. You're like, oh my gosh. And the umbrella guy is there. He's like, anyone need an umbrella? Welcome to America. It rains a lot. <laughs> yeah. So there was like a million Jews. That came from uh, Russia and Eastern Europe in general during the late 1800s. A lot of anti-Semitism in uh, the places they were uh, immigrating from, but also in New York City. I mean, it was obviously a lot better, but there was still really hard for them to like get jobs. People were kind of, you know, not being extremely welcoming, not unsimilar to what's happening today. Well, my first thought is that anti-Semitism is an age old, it's centuries old. Yeah. And certainly my mom is a Holocaust survivor. I mean, her family died in concentration camp. So, and she was a refugee. So anti-Semitism was very much a part of my reality. 
but the Jewish people at the time just made their own community. So like, we're going to make our own hospitals. We're going to make our own uh, businesses. We're going to have really like tight knit community and synagogues and social centers and, and clubs and, and, and the like. And so they kind of all settled in tenements in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which is still a very Jewish neighborhood to this day. You know, my father really grew up the sort of New York immigrant tenement lifestyle. Grew up in, on the Lower East Side and in Williamsburg. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was his life. The German Jews who were arriving around then were a little bit more fussy. And, um, fussy and uh, they were rich and they decided that they were going to just go uh, kvetch, which <laughs> for all of you Gentiles What's out there, kv- <laughs> kvetch means complain. Oh, so that's I'm yeah. a kvetcher. Exactly. Oh, yes. You're a- somebody called or somebody said, oh, God, I would never want to be a schnorr. A schnorr, yeah. Do you know what a schnorr is? It's like is? a boar. No, it's not. A schnorr. I mean, no, it's not. No, it's not. Schnorr is, is according to him, and I did have- It sounds a, like boar. It's uh, somebody that's a day short and uh, a day late and a dollar short. Oh, really? Well, let's take this pause, actually. I'm going to finish my story in just one second, but- it reminds me that I did want to share with you guys some other popular Jewish phrases that these people oh, brought yeah. over. These people. My people brought <laughs> over. <laughs> these people. We would not be saying. <laughs> Mensch, which is obviously someone who's like an honorable person. Do you guys ever see the movie Super Mensch, the documentary? No. Okay. Well, we'll talk so, about that in another okay. episode. Um, a Mensch is like a, a stand-up guy, a good guy. So I'm not a Mensch. No, a you're schnorr. more of a schnorr. What the fuck? A nosh. Well, you got to A nosh something. is something to eat. Like, oh, go have a nosh. Uh, Michigas is like crazy. Um, oh, so I'm also a Michigas. You're a total Michigas. I'm a, sh- I'm a Michigas schnorr. You're a sh- no, you're a schnorr Michigas. Oh, okay. Schnorr. Nosh is Yiddish. Like get a nosh. Oh yeah, hey bro. Really? I never heard like- a surfer say, "Yo, let's catch some nosh. <laughs> <laughs> let's catch some fucking nosh, bro. <laughs> nosh it up." Yo. When I was in Utah, they used to say like, "Shred the nor." Like, yeah, for shred snow- the narb, and shred- then they get a nosh and a schwitz. <laughs> they get a nosh and a schwitz. <laughs> it is true. That's. Total mountain living. You know you what else? You might be a Jew because you're also kind of a schlemiel. What's a schlemiel? A clumsy person. <laughs> I'm all <laughs> a schnor schlemiel. But you're not a schmendrick, which is a stupid jerk. Oh, thank thank God. If there's all, I'll be a schnor before I'm a schmendrick. Um, schmaltzy is someone who's corny. Obviously, we all know schmooze, which means to go when you know, you're at a party. Oh, darling, hello. High heel shoes are beautiful. Wait, what is schmooze again? Schmoozing and oozing schmooze. Mm, okay. And then a schmuck oh. is also what schmuck? Yiddish. Schmuckers? And schmucks. And schmucks. And schmutz. Schmutz. Yeah, that's when there's like stuff on the table. Like oh, right like, now. oh, God. Sh- it's like, schmutz. oh, there, you got some schmutz on your face. Wait, what is a scooch? <laughs> Scooch? You know when people say like scooch over. Oh, scooch over? I don't know what that Sco- is. I think scooch that's over like, is. Sc- I think they, that's oh, you gay. know whenever I used to bartend, people would always like, "Could you scooch over a little bit so my friend could come and scooch?" And I was like, "You mean scoot over?" Or do you mean <laughs> it was like a Jewish scooch? Do you mean scoot over, Madame? You know what? Scoot. I will scoot over. I will not scooch over. Stop being a schnorr. You're a schlemiel. Yeah. Stop being a schlemiel schnorri. You're getting very Michigas over here. This is, I'm really excited. I know. So these are some, these are some words we can all incorporate into our vocabulary, or if you were to use them, now you know where they came from. 
So anyway, these German Jews moved to the Upper East Side from the Lower East Side so they could vetch about the Gentiles um, that were kind of flooding the Lower East Side. They thought they were kind of like low class. They were, you know, poor, lived in tenements. I don't know if anyone's ever kind of spent time in Lower East Side. Great place called the Tenement Museum. And oh, you can that's kind right. Of I still haven't been there. It's really cool. You can learn about how different groups of people when they first immigrated to this country lived. I went to the one that was about Russian Jews. I went with my mom. She was really interested in it because she has, you know, half Russian Jewish heritage and half uh, Yugoslavian Jewish heritage so we went it was really cool but they lived in very like cramped poorly ventilated poorly lit conditions it was like very dirty yeah, there was, was a lot horrible. of disease no one would really give them jobs so like I said they formed their own communities they built their own hospitals uh, Mount Sinai actually used to be called Jews Hospital until they renamed Just it Jews Hospital Jews Hospital and it now it's like the best uh yeah I'll go to the Jews Hospital now everyone's like yeah I'll go to the um, Jews Hospital that's I've the best met, hospital in the at, whole yeah. city I went to Mount Sinai to get my knee replacement. That's so exactly or a hip replacement or an elbow replacement. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a ton of fires because they were working in sweatshops, a lot of clothing production. That's what everyone was doing. So that's like what people were working on, except the other job that was very popular Mm -hmm. during that time was baking, particularly bagel baking. Um, I wonder why bagel. Well, I'll tell you. So while there is a lot of different uh, theories and kind of uh, opinions and conjecture out there about where bagel making actually began. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Very, it's yeah. in Egyptian hieroglyphs, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics, I should say, oh. if I want to say it correctly. Uh, I didn't see those when I was there. Yeah, you, the went, to, you went to Egypt. Didn't you say you thought the pyramids were like just okay? <laughs> I don't know. You're they like, were, nah. They were kind of Britain's crumbly. very hard to impress. They were kind of crumbly. He loves a fried clam strip, but if it's perfectly fried, but the pyramids the, is uh, like the, whatever. Uh, one thing I'll say about the pyramids, and I promise I won't say anything bad because I'm not kvetching anymore. Okay. Uh, starting you gave right up now. 28 days After of no I kvetching. This, but you go to the pyramids and you're, you know, the ones right near Cairo, and they're kind of crumbly. They're not as big as you think. And at the base of the exit is a KFC. Oh, come on. Like the KFC is right there. Get like, it together, that? pyramids. In I'm shocked. Anyway, that. you should get fooled if you're there, not the KFC. Fool's that shit that um, I won't Fava be fooled. I'll only eat KFC. Anyway, back <laughs> to okay. So I did not see bagels on the hieroglyphics. Uh, I clearly missed it. So that was one uh, one idea of where it first started. Other people say that it was uh, they were found along the Silk Road. Uh, other people say they were uh, date back the to the Road. 14th century uh, in Italy. One mm-hmm. thing that we know for sure, they're much harder, and they had a hole in the middle for two reasons. One, to represent <laughs> well. the circle of life. Actually, three reasons. <laughs> One, so they could carry them on a string. Honey, you're And three, you know, you could put your, your penis right through it if you were alone in the woods for a like long time. That was, like, the real baker's secret was, yeah. like, what they don't know. They're like, why is there a all hole All the, in like, this? lonely bakers that are in, like, the hot, and they're all sweaty so they can never get laid. Yeah. And they just invented the hole. They're like, hey, if you kind of, like, par-bake these things, you can, like, that's disgusting. Like, Sh- Shlomo, why is there a hole anyway, in the middle and then of this every roll? Sing- every <laughs> single bagel eaten until 1890 was actually like a penis. Hey, there's a hole in this roll. <laughs> anyway, we all know that's the, the we all know that's the truth. A so. roll with a hole. Oh, I'm goodness. sorry. That's but listen, fucking funny. Okay, wait, wait. So wait, uh, what okay. am I going to listen to? That probably, I bet the Chinese invented it. I, I mean, they invented. They everything. invented everything, and they're like, oh, that's the Chinese. That's oh, what yeah. makes the most sense to me. Um. I'm sure that the Egyptian hieroglyphics were probably just some kind of sacrificial body part on a string and not actually a bagel. Yeah, but, it was like a I mean, slice of your duodenum. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? Um, but what we do know for a fact is that in 1614, mm. uh, in Poland, it was entered into law. They wrote something about bagels and law. It's the not Polish that interesting. But So it. we know that the Polish took it, ran with it, 
um, you know, stuck their dicks in it just as much as anyone else throughout time. Well, I'm Polish. Well, that's probably yeah, yeah. why you know the secret. Yeah. Past, well, I was what my grandfather swore when he, <laughs> he died a couple of years ago and he was like, <laughs> on his deathbed, he's like, I'll tell you the secret. And I was like, yes, grandfather. But yes, the dark crystal. Yes, the crystal shard is cracked. What? And he's like, a little secret is the bagel. That would be so I hate it. Anyway, I, God bless you, Louis Swatulski. Oh, Louis, you and your filthy bagel eating habits and bagel baking. So habits. the Polish. So the Polish they brought it here. So oh, basically, I see where we're going. Yes. So the Polish came over here uh, in the late 1800s, along with a lot of other folks, and then in the early 1900s, more and more Polish people came over. Bagels started. So they were being baking popular. in Brooklyn. Exactly. So they basically made New York City. Uh, yeah, and they were working mm-hmm. in some bad, bad conditions. It was real serious down there. Like they were like stoking those coal ovens, kind of like Nicolas Cage in Moon in Moonstruck. And oh, he's like, yeah. "What do you want?" And he like waves his fake hand. That's what everybody was. But do you then. love him, Loretta? Oh, oh, oh I do, Mama. <laughs> yeah, I do, Mama. Wow. Yeah. What does she say then? She's like, "Huh." Oh. Nicolas Cage, I'm sorry, is such a disgusting creep. If you're listening, I'm sorry, Nicolas Cage. Don't get your feelings hurt. But that movie, he's so hot in that movie. Literally. Yeah, he's very. Literally, he's sweating through the whole thing. So he's hot. And then he's also sexy. In a yellow stained tank top. I don't like to. A a shirt. I don't like to call them the former. I'm never going to use that word again. No, that word. Those are uncool. We don't use that word anymore. No, 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 no. So that happened. Um, bagels. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. So uh, bagels started becoming popular in New York. And mm-hmm. they were selling them just like kind of like how we would have pretzels today. They had a form of bagel bakers union. Do you think they had long sticks that with... Yeah. Uh, they would just walk in the street. And they did. on each dowel of wood, there was hot, fresh, like sesame. Yes. <gasps> Pumpernickel And bagels. poppy seed was very popular. So, yeah, they had a form of bagel bakers union. Uh, real crazy because... Um, everyone was getting treated so poorly. They were working 16-hour days, sweltering away. People were, like, passing out and so dying. Like, so was... like a line cook normally in New York. Exactly. So nothing <laughs> much has changed, and my story is completely over. Um, <laughs> so that happened. And then, huh? This Wait, was in and, the 1800s. And they didn't yeah. have insurance either? No insurance. Oh, okay. So nothing's changed. So also during that period of, the t- of period of time, just a place you put you right there in New York in 1893, there was the great horseshit crisis oh, I'll where never there was so it. much horseshit. They couldn't figure out how to get it out. And to get it out, they, they actually more, had to bring more horses, which brought more. This shit. reminds me of the Dr. Seuss from how did I ever tell you how lucky you are? And he goes, the faster I mowed it, the faster it grew. Exactly. Like, like the, the more shit they, they brought out, the more shit they brought in. Exactly. So picture and it. That's where they came up with like horse shit. Yeah. Oh, you're full of shit. Horse shit. Horse shit. This yeah. is horse shit. It I'm, really was. That's where the old phrase, I'm up to my ears and horse shit and I can't breathe came from. I know. I say that every morning. <laughs> <laughs> every morning, the first things that come out of my mouth are that. Um, oh, yeah. So the picture at the... 1895, the, sh- the streets are covered in horse shit and bagels. Everywhere you look, Hot a pile bagels, of shit covered in bagels. Coal ashes. <laughs> sweaty, ash boys. Sweaty Polish. Sweaty, sweaty ash young boys. 24-year-old Polish men in tank tops, like blonde hair with like a nice buzz cut. Yep. Just like with like bulging biceps pulling bagels out of this hot oven. Yeah. Sack of pickles. It. it was, it was <laughs> crazy. You know, my, my, my grandmother on my mother's side, um, she left. Uh, my, my, my grandfather, the one who was born in, in, in Brooklyn, um, his father sent him to medical school in Hamburg, Germany, um, where he met my grandmother and fell in love. And, um, he had seen Hitler speak at a rally in Berlin, and he was like, we're getting out of here. Um, 
and he transferred uh, to do his residency at NYU. Um, and uh, she came in August to meet him. Um, you know, it was it was it was it was a, a, a sort of huge cultural shock because she, she grew up with someone with money in Germany and came to you know her first her first vision of, of New York was was the cars on the Bell Parkway on from the boat and then um, her my grandfather's family picked her up and they went back home to Bensonhurst and she you know <laughs> she must have been like oi. Until the year 1905, and a gentleman named Joel Russ decides Mm. to come and pay us a little visit at Ellis Island, and he brought with him some of the traditions from his homeland, Poland. Poland again. Poland. Saving the world. Of pickling fish. So he's uh, he's selling pickled herring and Uh, dried mushrooms out of a cart, and then decides to open up a storefront. Um, a couple years pass. He opens one storefront. It's an appetizing shop. Just so you guys know, appetizing is yeah, how they is- were. Appetizing is how Jewish, basically appetizers, smoked fishes, um, candies, dried nuts, caviar, stuff like that, pickled fish, pickles. Uh, that's how they're referred to in Jewish culture as appetizing. Appetizing. So it's a present participle. Oh Interesting. My God, I never thought about that. Not only are you I handsome, that, you are smart. I actually think that's right. What can't you do? What's the no, it's right. Let's just okay, go with it. Perfect. It sounds really Love good. It. I'm smart. So in 1920, he ends up opening his uh, lo- permanent location that would stay there for the next over 100 years. Well, yeah, over 100 years. Um, called Russ, Russ and, and Daughters. Daughters. It's all come together. It's We're going to together. Russ and Daughters. Russ and Daughters is one of the most spectacular places in the entire world. Um, I remember going in with a boyfriend one time, <laughs> an ex-boyfriend, should I say, because of this. No, I'm just kidding. We and dated for another he two years. Didn't. He ordered a hamburger. We went into Russ and Daughters on a Sunday. It was super crowded, and he had a panic attack and made us leave. And I should have just dumped him right then and there. He couldn't hang. If like, you're listening, I right can't. Now. I can't. I can't wait in Russ and Daughters. I was like, you're missing the point of life. Yeah, you can't. You know what? If you can't, if you can't, if you can't eat together. If you can't wait for a nosh, then what can you do? Stop kvetching. Get the heck out of here. You you snore. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Idiot. (laughs) So in, um, yeah, in 1933, he brings his daughters into the business and renames it. Um, 1908, a gentleman by the name of Barney Greengrass Opens mm. on 113th Street in St. Nick's. 1929, he moves his now extremely famous appetizing shop and restaurant down to 86th Street in Amsterdam, you know where so it's still I today. I was there during the Women's March, and I had a panic attack. Oh, really? And I left, and I didn't eat anything. Really? Yeah. Well, so you kind of... But uh, luckily, I was by you myself. You blanked, which I'm going to off-air refer to running out of a Jewish delicatessen as blanking, <laughs> but I'll say the real person's name, but I won't on the air. What? Uh, you pulled a blank. Um, I pulled a blankety blank. I mean, you know, it can get high intensity. It wasn't that. You, it was I all just, the was, women and all the Jews and the locks and the I wasn't, estrogen. I wasn't anxious. The people it was the. It's not LA. It's the people. <laughs> no, it was the people. They were they were so crazy. But the employees really nice. It's crazy in there. You have to be. But prepared. you know, really, what do you really know? Why I left? Why I looked at the prices. Oh, it's I very expensive. It. It's very expensive. I couldn't afford it, and I didn't. I was. Very limited on my funds. No, it's really expensive, but it is worth it. And I will say about I will say about Barney Greengrass. I don't think that it's nearly as good as Russ and Daughters or Russ and Daughters Cafe. But there's something about the experience there that is so quintessentially in classic New York. And uh, 
because of these people who immigrated, they made it and it's now just part of our culture. Yeah. You know, like even if you don't go to those places, you don't realize how much it kind of influences you. Well, and Barney, so Barney Grugas, they also make their own bagels too, right? I don't know. I don't think they do anymore. So it's just, I think the, they okay. might. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not going to even speculate their, their bagels are not the, not the best part of that place. Little, yeah. So 1938, Barney Greengrass declared the Sturgeon King by James F. Frowley, who was a state senator um, and one of the leaders of Tammany Hall. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because Tammany Hall and the Democratic Party that run ran Tammany Hall was a pro-Irish immigrant thing. And Irish people, you know, and Jewish people weren't typically friends. So the fact that now we're 1938 we're starting to turn around where people of other are, cultures are becoming friends and the Irish people are also extremely discriminated against. And so we're t- mm-hmm. starting to see so are the Italians. how exactly. And we're starting to see how everyone's starting to meld and mesh. And I thought that that was actually really interesting in my reading that, you know, he didn't say he, w- he didn't declare himself the Sturgeon King. It wasn't another famous Jewish person. The Sturgeon. It was King. this Irish Senator who ran Tammany hall. Also, and he just read about declared himself Very interesting. the Sturgeon King. Yeah. He just said, oh. No, so. no, no. Opposite. He declared Barney Greengrass the Sturgeon King. He was, okay, Barney, he yeah. was nominated. I apologize. You know, he That's, wasn't nominated. There was, <laughs> he was just declared. declared. So they didn't even have laws back then against competitions? Well, it's not, a re- it's not a real king. Like, it's just, it's just. Well, like, I'm going to start, <laughs> you know what? Brett and Scott, I don't know, like, pay, like. Tar- Galette King. Okay, perfect. Perfect, done. Okay, good. We'll get shirts made up on the fly. Um, okay, so locks, um, as we were just talking about bagels, how bagels weren't traditionally a Jewish food necessarily. Uh, they had all kinds of different roots. Locks, also not a Jewish food. Um, in Yiddish, it's called locks. In German, it's called locks. Spelled uh, Yiddish is L-A-K-S. German is L-A-C-H-S. It's actually Scandinavian, and it's mm-hmm. cured in salt water. It was not smoked and it's, you know, still not when people say smoked salmon, it's still actually not always smoked. And when it is smoked, it's cold smoked. Otherwise it's not lox. That's right. Right. That's something that I didn't, that I had to double check A lot of times it's just cured. For instance, grab lox. Grab lox. Cured. Cured in salt and sugar. Also, grab lox in Scandinavian basically means grave lox because they buried it in the fucking ground. In 1873, so we're jumping back again, a gentleman by the name Pre-Horseshit. Actually, yeah, this is a little bit before. It was starting to build up. Right. They're like, ooh, it's getting a little stinky here. What do you mean? I don't smell anything. We got another 20 years before it's a problem. Don't worry. Yeah, just like global warming. Don't worry about it. Anyone for a boggle? (laughs) A fiagle. So a gentleman by the name of William Alfred Lawrence is trying to make Neufchatel? Neufchatel? Yeah, it's like cream cheese. It's a cream cheese. So he's trying to make that. Um, he's like combining things. This is happening in New York. Uh, he's got he's, some rennet. He's, he's got some exactly. milk, some curds. Some it's not very stable and there's not a lot of refrigeration. So when he first starts making it, the cream cheese situation is difficult. It's going it spoiled immediately. Little, it's a little diapery when you're eating it. Exactly. And people are dying left and right from this uh, fucking cream cheese. So he adds cream to the Niftichel thing that he kind of messes up. So this all kind of <sighs> happens by accident and he calls it cream cheese. Um, oh so goodness. I'm going to jump way ahead now and the first ad ahead. we're going to 1950 where the first da, 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 da. ad for oh, a bagel oh, okay. uh, with butter and locks appears in family circle magazine and then shortly after um philadelphia 
cream cheese, which is owned by Kraft Foods, um, runs an ad for a bagel with lox and cream cheese. Um, by the ni- mid-1950s, Lenders Bagels have... De- uh, the Lenders. Lenders. The Lenders Brothers have developed a frozen mass-produced bagel. They make a bagel baking machine. They call them the Jewish English muffins, so people will buy them. Did they buy them? Well, of course they yeah, bought them. They did. Everybody it, had a Lenders. And it eventually uh, led to the... Um, the fucking complete meltdown of what? It was a complete <laughs> meltdown of the Bagel Bakers Union, which... Sidebar, my mom yesterday said that my uncle's father was the head of the Bagel Bakers Union. The president of the Bagel Baker Union. Yeah, he was the Bagel Baker King. Bagel Baker. Today, jumping forward, we really are still lucky to have some really great places that are doing amazing things. Um, Mile End over in Cobble Hill is awesome. We really love it. It's a great little Jewish deli. They do Montreal style. You just said Montreal style bagels, and I wanted to share with everybody. Yesterday, I was cleaning up my freezer, and I threw away a six-pack of St. Verture bagels, which so in Montreal, there's a lot of bagel shops, but there's sort of the two touristy famous ones, yeah, Fairmont bagels, and then St. Verture, and I I froze them. I bought them in November, so I kind of had them in my freezer for a long time. Yeah, that's too long. Too long, but they're very good. They're they're not as salty as an American bagel, and they're a little bit smaller, and they, they're very specific about the rules. It has to be... The Montreal bagels have to be made in a wood-fired oven, and they have to use honey-sweetened water. Oh, wow. And they have to be handmade. And their hole is much, oh, it's a much little bigger. Small. It's a little it's tighter. Much bigger. No, it's a little... Yeah, no, it's much bigger. Well, but tighter. But bigger. Yeah, but tighter. That's the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be bigger and tighter. <laughs> you Go would know. Um, Boz bagels, also awesome. Frankel's in Greenpoint. Um, and then oh, our yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. favorite... Shelsky's right oh, here on Cobble Hill, a right wonderful, here, right down the street. Yeah. Wonderful appetizing place, uh, co-owned by Peter Shelsky, who's kind enough to share some of his thoughts about growing up Jewish. So I grew up in the 1980s, um, and, uh, I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, um, and we were, uh, pretty secular Jews growing up, um, so you know, we were we were like high holy day Jews. We would we would go to, to temple on on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and uh, you know we go to people's bar mitzvahs when we had to go to those. But and I went to Hebrew school, um, but but I guess looking back on it, we were always Jew ish. <laughs> Perfect. Jew Jew light. Um, but that being said, um, our Jewishness. And my Jewishness was always mostly in relation to the food we ate. You know, we had often bagels and locks or, or bialis, actually, more specifically, uh, um, on, on a very regular basis on weekends. Uh, my, my grandmother actually lived on the Lower East Side, right around the corner from Kozar's Bialis, uh, which yeah. is, you know, the, the old school original Bialy baker in New York. Um, and, um, you know, I have a really fond memories of going or going to her house and then stocking up on, on Bialis and, and usually a, a pretzel and onion disc. And, and my father would put, put the bag of a couple dozen Bialis in the trunk of, of, of his 1978 Buick limited with, 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 with the lower seats. Oh and, God. you know, you try to make it home and try to make it back to the upper side without pulling over and, you know, pulling a Bialy out of the out of the bag, and you couldn't because the, the the smell was of freshly baked bread was wafting through the car, and, and so that, that's a really fond Jewish food memory. He's a wonderful person, a great addition to the neighborhood, and I, you know, I'm really happy that he kind of keeps this tradition 
um, of Jewish appetizing alive. Uh, so appetizing. Yeah. I so love today, that. people in America eat about five million bagels. Five a day. Millions. Yeah, it's five, really five millions. It's really of crazy. Bagels. So I just wanted to like briefly wrap up by asking all you guys out there to imagine the country uh, or wherever you live or New York City, a bagel-less society. Yeah, imagine a pizza-less society. Imagine I a taco-less society. No, I want... Imagine, Stop saying those imagine things. Imagine a spaghetti-less... Stop so- saying those things. <laughs> imagine a rice-less society or even the worst possible outcome, a dumpling-less society. Oh, wait, so what are we eating? Well, a I blade mean, of without, grass? without immigrants, not really very much. Bland, boiled potatoes and, you know, homemade ketchup. No, because those are... Not even. Those are brought from immigrants, too. Exactly. The Chinese, everything. Um, America is great and always will be great because it is a diverse place. And it is not great when we oppress and kill and push out other people. Um, We were built on murdering Native Americans and enslaving black people. And uh, the best we've actually ever done is when we welcome and embrace and celebrate other people and other cultures. So if you're listening and you're eating a bagel and you're hating Mexicans, you are a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Just put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's my that's my take on, you know, Amen. anyone out yep. there who's enjoying anything. We owe what we have and we enjoy in this country to immigrants and to their uh, bravery for coming to a strange land and trying to make a better life and for offering like the beautiful things that they make in their own country and their own traditions so we can even have a little bit of them. And typically we just co-opt them and ruin them. But, you know, I just want to say thank you to my ancestors. Uh, I know you're probably listening from heaven or hell, wherever you may be. Um, <laughs> There's some in purgatory. Yeah. They're still deciding. Thank, thank you. I appreciate you. I'm, ex- I'm happy that we have the things we have. I feel very lucky to live in New York in a bubble and, you know, where we get to have everything. And most people are pretty appreciative and on the level. But, uh, you know. Delicious, wonderful things. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know. I wouldn't eat. I actually, I'd be dead. Ask your, but really, if you're listening to this, ask yourselves. And if you have a relative out there who's standing on the wrong side of history, ask them yeah, what, what they would it's do. True. It's kind of a, maybe an easy way to kind of segue into this well, conversation. Well, I only eat a, a blade of grass. <laughs> I mean, they would just probably like be still biting right into, you know, alive pigs. <sighs> And uh, getting trichomoniasis and dying. But, you know, I mean, to each his own. For me, uh, hey, listen, you want for me, I like a bagel. You want trichomoniasis? See if I care. Or hey, trichinosis, I should say. I, okay, I don't want to start this argument, but favorite bagel in New York. Well, that's, I... I was going to ask you, but I'm glad you asked me. <gasps> oh. So one more thing. When you talk about the favorite bagel in New York, a couple of my favorite bagel shops, kind of just seeing how things have, you know, uh, stretched like the dough of a bagel. Uh, <laughs> the like most the... popular... It's widely regarded, and my favorite bagel in New York City, Absolute Bagels, up on the Upper West Side near Columbia, very, very delicious. is owned by, I believe, a Thai family. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my other favorite bagel place, which uh, I'm not sure if they're around anymore, is a- oh, very famous, was Wait. H&H Bagels. Oh, H&H. There's they, a- they had some kind of thing where like they sold it, and I haven't been there in years. Mm. But they're owned by a Puerto Rican family. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome. That? But yeah, my favorite well, is Absolute. Absolute. What about yours? I kind of like Bagel Hull. Uh, bagel hole. Bagel is hole. Is that, yeah, sorry. I have a. Is this a porn I or to, a place? No, no, it's a bagel hole. It's oh, a no, okay. no, it's a back room and uh, on Seventh <laughs> Avenue. It's at the back room of it's the. It's in Seventh. No, it's in Park. It's in South Park Slope. It's on Seventh Avenue. Oh, I know that place yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah that's very. They good. have smaller ones, <laughs> smaller and tighter ones, but uh, yeah. they also. But I, there's a really weird one on Father Timo Square, over in the West Village, where West West Fourth meets Sixth Avenue, and it's called Bagels on the Square. 
Oh, and yeah. They're, they're, well, they've always, that's, when I first worked at Lupa, that's where I, when I worked lunches. Yeah. And I just moved to New York. And I'm like, what do I do before? Like, like what's a hot sandwich? Like, I just order. And I remember I used to get up to the counter and psych myself up. Be like, okay, like, it's New York, Breton. Come on, like, pick up the pace. Like, you got to know what you want to order. And I'd be like, I'm a pumpernickel toasted. Right? You know, you're nervous. The guy behind you is like, come on, buddy. And I'm like. So then, like now, when I go and I was like, uh, pumpernickel bagel, double tusted, scallion, or double to- double tusted, double tusted, double tufted, double tusted, double toasted, uh, scallion cream cheese and sliced tomatoes and sliced red onions and capers. You know what I'm like? Yeah, you talk in a heavy smoking voice. Yeah, no, I'm like fucking you, asshole. You got to, you got to. But I was so scared when I used to order there. But they have the pumpernickel uh, caraway I, bagels. Oh my god, Maron, that's really good. They're the best. What's your go-to bagel order? I don't eat a lot of bagels, but I do have one. So pumpernickel double toasted. You, you pumpernickel double toasted, and they always tell me, "No, they're fresh. No, you don't want to toast it." I don't like like a toasted. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. Pumpernickel bagel double toasted. I just said it. That's what I meant. Snap, girl. Yeah, no, I like the texture better. I (laughs) like on a bagel scallion cream cheese, lox, and and some whitefish salad, Uh, onions, capers. And tomato. I would get locks. I just usually can't afford it. Oh, my God. I know. So delicious. I was working lunches. Where would you go to eat your perfect slash last meal of all the kind of foods that we love and have been talking about on this episode? Um, Marie Sturgeon shop on the Upper West Side. Oh, my God. I thought that I was the only person that I knew who knew of that place. It's amazing. Can you tell us what you like to get there? Um, I'd make sure to get my Bialis from the Lower East Side, but I would, I would go get you know, some Nova and some pickled herring with cream sauce and onions and, and a few slices of sable and, and, uh, and some scallion cream cheese. And I would, I would toast the living hell out of the Bialy until it was virtually carbonized and, <laughs> and, and spread some scallion cream cheese on there with two slices of Nova and some, some sable and, and a few pieces of pickled herring with cream sauce and onions. I have a question for you. Um, what are your, um, recommendations, chef recommends. Mm, I'd chef like to recommends ask you, don't eat anything because I said so. Um, what does the chef recommend to do with lox besides put it on a bagel? Go. Well, you could wrap it around an asparagus Ooh. instead of like prosciutto. Okay. Uh, what else? You know what? You could, oh, I know. Do you know what those things called? Schmorkestorta? Of course. Schmorkestorta. So schmorkestorta <laughs> is, um, sorry, that's, that's just how you have to say it. It's a layer, it's like a savory. <laughs> Scandinavian layered cake, but okay. made out of bread and cream mm-hmm. cheese. But you could put so so naturally as one makes one of those every <laughs> every Wednesday at ten a.m. Uh, natu- you could wrap the outside of it, like the side of it, with Ooh. a thin layer of locks, creating what would look like a rose buttercream. But it's locks, savory Ooh. for those of us that don't like sweet things in the morning. Yeah, for those of us that don't eat gluten free pancakes in the morning. Yeah, I mean, to word. hell with those. <laughs> oh, word. word. Okay, that's a good chef recommends. Um, and then I have one more question for you. Um, about this topic in general. This is a little bit off the bagels and locks, but I just want to know what are your top three Jewish foods? Mm, I do love a knish. Ooh, you know what? Kanish doesn't occur to me ever, but a kanish is delish. I, <laughs> kanish, kanish is just so good. In a, wait, so kanish is it's traditionally mashed potatoes. Yeah, in bread. In a bread. Yeah. So if you're looking to pack on the pounds, <laughs> you know, you're summer's gaining, over. You're gaining weight for a roll. Yeah, summer's over, and you just are sick of starving yourselves and eating lettuce wraps and, you know, locks. You could, oh, there, put some locks on a lettuce wrap. Roll it up, you know. Yeah, it's a locks wrap. Shove it down, locks wrap. And, uh, yeah, you could eat a knish. Yeah, knish is great. 
my father, his parents were Russian. Uh. And my father loved his Russian foods. He loved borscht. Mm. So I would say we have to start with borscht. Yum. We have to start with finding the best beets at the farmer's market. Uh. And we have Oy. to make it into a wonderful, wonderful cold borscht soup with a big dollop of sour cream on top. Okay, number two. T- t- uh, a potato latke. Mm-hmm. Or what do they call those? The Like um, a palm roasty. But they call mm-hmm. them something different in... They're called latkes in Latkes. Jewish culture. Culture. Okay, yeah. that's my second favorite. And then... Sour cream or applesauce or both? Uh, I don't... I think just sour cream. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair. And then you did... a uh, Brisket. Oh, yeah. Brisket's the best. Brisket's really good. Brisket made me sort of turn into a Jewish food lover. Yeah. But I also think of brisket. Oh, and brisket. I always tell this funny story. I had a catering business, as you know. And oh, really? I did, called Love and Oven. And on Passover, I had huge quantities of Passover menus to make for people. And yeah. I decided to make a wonderful apricot burgundy brisket oh, with yeah. apricots and burgundy. And and I thought, I think this really needs some bacon to... to <gasps> cooking it right to make a really wonderful taste bobby was wasn't thinking bobby put bacon (laughs) in the passover brisket oh my god (laughs) i can't believe it my top three my number one favorite jewish food of all time hands down is Uh, i know what you're gonna say i think what do you think i'm gonna say i hope that you say my favorite thing which i think you're going to stuffed cabbage of course yes Oh my god, like I forgot. My Grammy used yeah. to make with rice and meat on the inside. She put cabbage in the sauce also. And the secret ingredient. Ginger snaps. As my mom says. I know Bobby already Apricots. It's very delicious. Um smoked whitefish is my second favorite. Delicious. I love, 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 love smoked whitefish. And my third favorite Jewish food I'd have to say is matzo ball soup. Matzo ball soup. I love it. Yep. I like yep. I like uh, floaters, not sinkers. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So that's that. Um, yeah, those are my questions that I have regarding uh, Jewish foods and bagels in general. Well, how about that? Honey sweetened. Breton? Yeah. Anything? What do you got in that notepad there? Oh, that was just the stuff that I already said. You okay. know, the 1990s are coming. They're well, They're not coming back. They're just here. Yeah, they're back. And I feel really hip, like hipper than ever. Yeah, you look a little bit hippier than ever. Hippier, yeah. Just like kidding. my hips are really big because I've been eating hot. so many bagels. No, no, you look hot. I had a lot of rigatoni last night. Do you eat a lot of bagels? I never. I eat like one I, bagel a year. Like one, once every three, four months. I used to eat them all the time. Yeah, I know. Me too. That's why I, I didn't. I didn't look at the bagels. Way. I always said this. Here's the like you know a moment on the lips. Bagels make back fat. Bagels make back fat. Bagels make back fat. Bagels make back fat. Yum, bagels. But that's okay. We also like back fat. It's no problem. I love back fat. And I like front fat. I have, yeah. Um, should we end? Yeah. Back fat, back is, fat great. is delicious. Well, you know what? Sear it up, slice it up, render in oh, the I pan. Oh, I wanted to ask you a Make co- your popcorn inside my hand. Dip it up, butter it up, put it by a movie. You. <laughs> Was that a freestyle? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually. What are you I'm doing sitting white. here? Why are you yeah, Why I'm, are you doing a podcast? You should well, be on the road. Well, that's really funny. I'm going to Midtown right now to do some voice recording. Okay, for good. Some freestyling. Perfect. This wasn't going purchase. well anyway. I feel like we should just stop doing the podcast. It's boring. Nobody likes it. All right. So coming to conclusion. Yes. Uh, go get yourself your nearest bagel. It, I can't say the word bagel. 
Yes, you, know you I, are saying the word bagel, but so, you are supposed to say bagel. Okay, so I, I'll go back to my old accent from Wisconsin. Like, that's how I grew up talking, kind of yeah. like this. Okay. And when I was younger, I used to say, like, oh, the bagel with cream cheese. And then people, when I moved here, I obviously didn't talk like this. And I yeah. would say, oh, like, hey, guys, can I get a bagel? And everybody's like, ah, like, they're like, oh, my, oh my God, like, you say the word bagel so funny. And I, I still, to this day, don't know how to say the word ba- bagel. 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 Correct. So I'm saying it correct? Bagel? Of course. Who am I to talk any shit on you? You hear how I talk? Yeah, but that's like... You hear how I talk? (laughs) You hear how I talk? I go to Wisconsin, people are like, what are you saying? Bagel. Uh, You say bagel, and I say say bagel. bagel. You say box, and I say fox. If you had a message for kids who are Mexican-Americans right now and who are going to school and being teased... And taunted and talked about seeing you as a daughter of an immigrant who was teased and taunted in school and in an age where Jews weren't necessarily accepted. What would be your advice for a young kid today, how to get through and kind of persevere through some of that uh, hatred? Well, my first thought, and again, being a psychologist, I think of fear. And I would like to tell a child who's experiencing discrimination that the other people are filled with fear and they just don't know, and it's ignorance and fear, and that they have to believe in themselves and know that it's what the other person is saying to them is not really about them. It's about their own fear. So it's about the other person's fear, not about their own inadequacy or something wrong with them or they're being different. We're all different. Every single one of us is different. Yeah, absolutely. We're all our own recipe. I can tell you that you've got, uh, uh, and I only speak as a New Yorker, um, you, you've, you've got a city with eight-plus million people um, who, who are, who not only feel your pain, but are ready with open arms, uh, you know, <laughs> come to New York. We want you, we, we need you. And, and the best advice is come, come be with everyone from all over the world in a, in a great place where generally we all get along. I've heard of Anne Frank. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What I, part of what I remember is how they'd have little pieces of cake wrapped up and then they would share little teeny sh- pieces of it yeah and how just the little teeny flavors of it were so important yeah and it was their culture and it was part of what when they felt that they had things and and even when they didn't they could still remember when they had things so remembering abundance when you don't have abundance is a is a way to get through it absolutely